Everyone, it's Chet Gray with Christian Hunters of America podcast again. We are going to be speaking with Joni Marie later on. She is the owner of Rock Starlet Outdoors, which is a clothing company geared specifically for outdoor-minded ladies. They have all different types of clothing, swimsuits, leggings, shirts, all good, all good stuff that uh, my wife and many other ladies enjoy wearing. She used to own a archery shop with her husband up in Alaska. And her adventures took her here to Arizona. We're going to be speaking to her today about her her past life in Alaska, what brought her out here um, to northern Arizona, how she started her company, and all of her success as an archery hunter. And she's also been a writer for Pope and Young, very instrumental in inspiring a lot of ladies into the outdoor industry, into the outdoor world, and uh, mentoring them and encouraging them in order to grow our passion and grow the uh, archery and hunting mindset for everybody here in Arizona as well as the nation. So we're going to have a great episode. We're going to be speaking with Joni Marie shortly. Hello, everyone. This is Chet Gray with Christian Hunters of America podcast. In studio today, we have Johnny Marie with uh, Rock Starlet Outdoors. Like I said in the intro, it is a outdoor clothing business geared towards women. She is a huge mentor and inspiration to a lot of women. Uh, my wife has some of the clothing. I'm sure plenty of other women that follow us on Instagram and our social media platforms have seen some of her uh, her clothing, but not just that. She's an entrepreneur with many other feathers in her cap. I know she's made numerous things based on uh, some deadheads or from Euro skulls. And she used to own her archery shop in Anchorage and she has quite the story. So we got Mike in studio. How are you, Mike? Here we are. Good, good, good. How's everybody doing today? Hopefully everybody's blessed out there. How are you, Johnny Marie? I'm doing great. Welcome. Welcome. We are blessed that you were able to uh, make time in your busy schedule to join us. And we know you have quite the following on social media. You and your husband go out quite a bit in uh, Northern Arizona on learning all the different species here and learning the different uh, tactics, but all your previous experience I'm sure is helping you, but Arizona is definitely different than Alaska. For uh, the few people that don't know you, if you could introduce yourself and just tell a little bit about yourself and how you how you got involved into the outdoor industry and the hunting and uh, what brought you here to Arizona. Sure, yeah. Um, so I was born and raised in Alaska, and my father was a big game hunting guide there. He was a master guide and outfitter, actually. So he he got the 35th hunting license ever issued in the state of Alaska. So wow. uh, he moved there before it was even a state, and... Um, so I was really influenced by him and my brothers that were all outdoorsmen and, um, you know, grew up in a, in a hunting family and we were commercial fishermen. So just a lot of, you know, working in the outdoors and appreciating the outdoors. And my father was a bush pilot as well. So um, I got to, you know, fly uh, all over Alaska and land on glaciers and rivers and all kinds of, you know, amazing places and explore. So just really developed that passion for the outdoors um, through him. And then, um, you know, as I got older, um, after, you know, my husband and I got married, we um, opened an archery store in Anchorage and um, we ran that for seven years. 
and just, you know, did a lot of bow hunting as well and um, just enjoyed helping teach people how to shoot and outfit them for their adventures and then hear about their successes um, when they'd come back into the store to tell us, um, show us pictures and um, doing, you know, children's leagues. And I ran a homeschool program for um, children there where they could come and get their PE credit by doing archery with me. And so I would teach classes in the mornings for children um, for homeschooling before we opened the store. And then we had a huge um, indoor range. We had a techno hunt. We had a lesson lane and then a full pro shop there. So about a 5,600 square foot facility that my husband and I ran um, for seven years in Alaska. And then um, I got diagnosed with a rare disease and it, really um, started affecting me badly and um, a, a real short just synopsis on that was um, the doctor told me I only had about two years um, left and so we decided to sell our archery store and uh, make bucket lists and and if we only had two years left you know together we thought we would go and and do all those things together and enjoy that time the best we could and in the process of all that, I found out that the number one specialist in the world on my disease was at um, the Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale. And I started coming down here to see him. And um, through the process of some surgeries and changes in medication and his expertise, um, he really took that expiration date off my life and told me, you know, get that out of your head. We're going to, you're going to be okay you know, for a much longer period of time. I think disease is not curable and, and you can't stop it. But, um, but he, you know, he, he had a much more positive outlook. And so we decided to go ahead and move down here so I could be closer to good medical care that could help extend my life. And so we moved to Arizona. That's Praise kind of God. a quick synopsis. <laughs> incredible. Absolutely yeah. incredible. And just, it's amazing when I think about, you know, how the Bible so, you know, has... God has a plan for us, and we never know what our plans are. We may think that that you know, we have this little bit of time, but God opens doors, and look at the impact you're still doing. It's it's truly inspiring to see that your hands involved in so many different aspects, knowing that your days potentially could have been numbered, but you're actually living life to the full and impacting businesses and individuals and, and making a difference. Truly, everywhere you and, go, it's amazing. And the power of prayer was huge. I had a, I had an enormous amount of amazing people praying for me. Um, I'm very religious. So I, I was praying, my family was praying, you know, we were going through a lot and, you know, it, it really has been a miracle of, I even went into remission for a short period of time. I'm, I'm not in remission now, but as we, my, my father passed away before, before we made the decision to leave Alaska. And clearly that's a pretty, very stressful, yes. difficult time. And, um, and my disease just got worse from the stress. But once we got down here and we got settled in, I went into remission for like um, nine or 10 months, which when you've only been, you know, been told you only had two years left and you go into remission for nine or 10 months, that gives you a big extension on your life. And so that was amazing. And um, I've just really gotten, you know, great treatment and just met the right people through a, a series of, of things that have happened that really could have only been happened through the hand of God coordinating that for me. So that's really been a blessing. Absolutely. And then 
what's amazing to me is that your eyes have been opened and and you can see that I think so many times that we take that stuff for granted or we think it's just happen chance or you know or I got the the right roll of the dice at time but it's it's really inspiring to see that you placed your your faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus you know basically that he's a healing god and that he's alive and that you know through prayer and to reaching out to him that that he you know it was for his will that 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 all of these things have happened but now you're taken to the next step and giving him the glory that as the Matthew 5:16 says it let your light shine before men that may glorify your father in heaven and and truly that's what you're doing in your life at this point which is it's inspiring it's i have chills on my my arms right now just thinking you know the from the diagnosis time to losing your father then to basically leaving the the state that i've dreamed to go to and and probably the the when i think about the outdoors i mean all the things that Alaska has and to move to, you know, Arizona in the name to save your life. I mean, it's, it's truly incredible. I mean, it's inspiring. And, and I think we kind of take a step back, especially when we look at the world around us and we see all these unknowns and, you know, we're coming out of the coronavirus and we got wars and we got all this other stuff, but it really becomes personal when we know that we put our faith in our God that, that is there to protect us and guide us. And sometimes we, we have all these other outside pressures and views and, we got to take a step back and know that God is, he has picked us personally and that he cares for us. And he loves for us and he hears us and he's going to take care of us. And, I, and that's what I'm hearing from you. It's just, it's amazing. It truly is amazing. I appreciate that very much. I, I've been really open on online, you know, online on social media about my disease and my struggles and those kinds of things. And, um, made myself fairly vulnerable in that aspect, which, um, it's kind of scary to put that out there, but I've had so many people privately message me and say, you know, I'm going through this disease or this ailment, or I have this disability or, or whatever. And, um, seeing you say, no matter what the obstacles are, I'm going to continue to be outdoors and hunt and do the things that I love to do has inspired me to get out. I actually had a, a little man write me and say that, you know, he had um, really severe diabetes and just hadn't hardly been off the couch for many, many years and and told me, you know, after following my page and, and kind of connecting with me through that, that um, that he had gone out on his first hunt and he hadn't gotten anything, but it didn't matter. He was just out in the outdoors and was so thrilled that he had gotten inspired and gotten out and hunted and stuff. And so um, sometimes I think, you know, sometimes we're given hardships so that we can help others. So I always try to think of the, the blessing in things or the, you know, the positive side in things. And that also keeps me upbeat about my disease as well. Yep, absolutely. And, and I think that's when we look at what CHA and, and I think I'm approaching 20 years with the organization before we did the, the name change. And, and that's what was drawn to me was an all volunteer organization. When I got involved, I think in 2002, 2003-ish, we're still a hundred percent volunteer and, and the whole idea is just a, a group of individuals that are like-minded that we love hunting. We love the outdoors, but, you know, but we're a fellowship and we're a ministry and, and we do things to inspire people to introduce them to hunting. But really it's, it's about the foundation of fellowship and, and bringing Christ, you know, and everything that we do. Then I take a step back where you kind of went and I kind of have a, a similar story a little bit, but some, some of our followers do know that my son was diagnosed with cancer in high school and, and that is a paradigm shift when that comes down and you, you live in your life and you're, you're healthy and, you know, you think you're invincible and everything else. And all of a sudden you, you get sick and then you hear the words from the doctor that basically says that you're, you're terminal, you have cancer. And, of course, 
our, our, our selfish flesh wants to go negative and, and think the worst. And, and we, just like yourself, I mean, we rallied and, and we prayed and we had a huge amount of, of individuals that are praying for us. And, and we watched the transformation of God to take something negative and turn it into a positive for his glory. And now my son is, he's broken six years as a cancer survivor, which is just amazing to me to think back when he was going through that and just the fear and the anxiety and everything else that went to it, then having to make that stance saying that we put our trust in God and whatever happens is for his glory. And it's tough, you know, it really is. And I think that's what I'm seeing when I follow you on your social media and, and kind of what you're doing and what you're doing with your businesses and, and your testimonies that I've seen online. And it's really, it's, it's, it's showing that you're so much bigger than just an individual or a business person or a family person that, that you're living your life to bring people to Christ, you know, and to bring God through his awareness, um, through the trials that we all go through. And I think that's the thing is as individuals and as humans, you know, creating God's image that every one of us is going to go through trials. We have highs, we have lows, we have other times that we're just living life and it's just, it becomes like a broken record. But at some point where every one of us is going to hit our knees and look up and, and, and be praying that knowing that we need something that's a lot bigger than us, you know, and I think that's where it really hit me hard when my son was going through cancer too, is, you know, I think we're strong, we're invincible and we, we have all this, but when it's outside your control and you have to put your faith in, into, you know, especially as a Christian, you know, as, as your Lord and Savior saying, all right, Lord, we understand that you gave us this opportunity in this life and you've, than this and it's it's your will you know and, and we're gonna we're gonna fight for that will of your will to be done as it is on earth as it is in heaven and whatever that may be and here we are you know, years later you know so thank you for your testimony yeah. it really really is powerful so yeah oh that's that's an amazing story about your son too i'm so glad that he's doing well so um <laughs> for <laughs> the same reason i mean we yeah. didn't we didn't plan this but that's just how organic it is and how how god impacts all of us um I know some people may think that we have some script that we're going off of and we want to, we want these tear jerk reactions or we want to go down um, some of the sad and stuff, but it, this is an organic conversation that, that brings out raw emotion that everybody has experienced. And I think uh, it makes it more relatable that for the same reason in a negative way that misery loves company, happiness and joy and faith loves company as well. So when you're happy and you project that image and people are praying for you and you have that positive mindset, it inspires other people to be like that. Just like you said about the individual with diabetes, that you see more people in an uplifting mindset and they're projecting that, that positive vibes, then you, you yourself uh, continue down that path. So it is inspiring and you never sit idle. You're always busy, it seems like. Uh, you, you're doing stuff all the time. Um, you sold the business in Alaska. You sold the and moved to northern Arizona with your husband. And then did you, I don't know the, the whole backstory on Rockstarlet. Did you have it up there or did you start that when you guys moved here to Arizona? So I had it when I um, when it was in Alaska. Um the name was slightly different. It was Rockstarlet Bow Hunting, and I was only making clothing that was specifically in an archery or bow hunting uh, vein. And when I moved down here, uh, when we sold, when we sold um, Full Crow Archery, which was our archery store in Alaska, when we sold um, that business, I, I just retained the Rockstarlet clothing line. And when I moved down here, um, I knew that my you know my health was really up and down, and 
um, I wanted something where I could continue to work full time, but I wanted to be able to do as much as I could from home because if I'm going through a bad flare, um, sometimes my eyes or my face will swell up real bad. Or sometimes I've gone through periods where I can't speak or I literally can't speak out loud for my longest was two months. Sometimes it's only like a week, but you know, all these kinds of things that might make it hard for me to work a regular job that I have to show up to every day somewhere else. I wanted to be able to work from home from my computer. And so I expanded the business by changing the name to Rockstarlet Outdoors to encompass all outdoor activities for ladies. And so um, now I've included, you know, riding dirt bikes and hiking and camping and fishing and, and, you know, all kinds of different um, outdoor activities for ladies that just love to get outdoors. And, and so um, by, by changing that and expanding it, I've been able to, um, you know, encompass more ladies into the brand. And you have, I'm not sure if you call them pro staff, but a lot of the outdoor industry pro staff or ambassadors for your, for your company, you have ladies all across the United States and possibly even in other countries that are ambassadors for that program, correct? Yes, exactly. So, um, I currently have 35 and I'm actually, right now in the middle of an open application period where I'm taking applications and I'm going to add about five or six more um, ladies to that team. And, um, but I really look for a wide variety. Like I said, it's, you know, if, if um, I have some ladies that love to hunt, but I have some ladies that don't hunt at all. They they love to trail run or they are farmers or, and ranchers and they love to you know, their horses and their, um, their cats, some are cattle ranchers. And so there's all different kinds of, um, of interests that are all really cool outdoor interests. And I think, um, one of the things that makes the group, um, unique is that that diversity that, um, they're, you know, each of them shares their outdoor adventures, um, through our social media. And, um, I think different people connect with different aspects of, of all the different ladies and, and enjoy seeing, you know, somebody doing things that they, that they never really thought that they could do. And so, you know, they, they see someone that's, um, you know, going out and running marathons and they think, well, you know, I see her story and if she can do it, then I can do it. You know, there was a, a, there's a woman on our staff that, um, said that she just, you know, realized one day that she, she wasn't, um, following a healthy lifestyle that would be inspiring to her kids. And then one day she just literally decided, I want to inspire my kids to, to live a healthful lifestyle and I'm not doing it. So she just completely changed her life. And now she's out and she runs marathons all the time wow. and goes trail running and, and gets her kids involved and just really, you know, changed her life. And so just all sharing all those kinds of different um, outdoor adventures, I think, reaches a lot of different people. Agreed. A hundred percent. I mean, there's plenty of negative things out there with social media, but there's just as many or more on positiveness and everybody being able to connect. And it's different when you see pictures. Um, some people love Instagram. Some people love YouTube. Some people love Facebook and we could go down the roads of why people agree or disagree with those platforms. But just in the positive side, being able to see those quick videos or the short videos and the pictures and a quick story about it, like you said, it inspires people the opening statement on how much you you inspire a lot of women and, and just families in general. I mean, little girls, I'm sure, are seeing that. Everybody has social media or access to it. And just if you're not an adult, if you're not an adult woman, I'm sure young women are seeing those and 
and looking up to them as mentors and positive role models so that they can accomplish that. They can set their mind to anything and reach those goals, whether it's having your own business, whether it's accomplishing a fit goal or, or you know, a health, health-minded goal like running a marathon. Most people cannot run that far successfully without, without keeling over. Yeah. Um, I know I've run 5 and 10Ks, but I've never wanted to run a half marathon or a marathon. Uh, that just doesn't sound fun to me. But a lot of people look at us that we're silly for, you know, wanting to chase elk or or mountain goats or, or, you know, sheep or something like that, uh, that doesn't, you know, it doesn't float the boat for everybody, but that's what makes us all unique. And that's good that you have that, that perspective and you have the platform in order to inspire lots of people from all over. I mean, the same people that are in the West coast or Alaska have different values or views or different likes than someone in the Midwest where, um, they don't have, you know, 15,000 feet elevation mountains and a ton of snow. So I, I, I yeah. applaud you for that. Before, before all the crazy COVID madness happened, um, we were, we would try to book several adventure trips each year. So we, and we would, some of our staff go and then we open that up to the public so other ladies can join. And then um, um, I'm almost always on the trips as well. And so we go and then um, we expose ladies to different kinds of adventures with a, with a whole group of supportive ladies. So we've done things just that are like, you know, camping and fishing trips, but we've, I've also done quite a lot of um, group hunts. Um, and like you said, for even for young girls. So twice I've taken groups of ladies to Africa hunting oh, wow. and uh, on bow hunts. And um, on one of the trips I had, a 13-year-old girl come, and her father came along, you know, because she was younger. But um, she had this great adventure, too, you know, with, with all of us, um, with all of us older ladies on the trip as well. And so um, that is, that's been a really fun, it's, although that's not necessarily what the brand is about. Obviously, I make clothing, but, um, but just being able to, to, to do a few trips a year where we can connect a bunch of ladies and they make these amazing you know, lifetime um, friendships. We've done turkey hunts and black bear hunts and um, several goose hunts. And um, I had um, a bear hunt in Canada lined up for a big group of ladies with um, Top of the Flyway Outfitters. One of my staff owns that um, that guiding service there with her husband and some friends and um, in Canada. And we had a group of ladies going up for that to do um, fishing and, and bear hunting and um, that of course got canceled from COVID, but hopefully once things mellow out a little bit more, we'll be able to pick up those trips again. Cause that's just a kind of a fun addition to the, to the brand and a way to, to connect ladies. Some, you know, a lot of ladies want to do things outdoors and they, but they don't, they don't have anybody in their circle maybe that enjoys the outdoors or anyone to go with. And so, you know, they'll come on these trips, not knowing anybody and make, you know, lifelong friends um, there. That's huge. Um, I mean, there's always been the stigma. There's certain things that are uh, in the outdoor industry or in any industry that it's geared towards this person or this person or, you know, male or female, different genders or whatnot. But the fact that people are willing to take that leap of faith and go without anybody uh, or, with you know, go up there to meet friends, but just those lifelong memories and the adventure. I mean, it could be a once-in-a-lifetime trip to go to Alaska or to go to Canada and experience that and that close bond and being able to 
to experience that and then be able to reflect and share it with those with those other ladies that are scattered across the country um, and then continue to have those relationships and those friendships and you guys shared that experience and then you're doing all these different things in all these different states to allow people to experience different adventures is is pretty remarkable and having a dad or um, any parent that's allowed to travel to to Africa and bring their young daughter to be able to experience that. That's pretty awesome for that, for that dad and that little girl. Yeah. He and he had a great time too. It was a lot of fun. So it, was he a hunter as well? He, he was, and he hunted while he was there. And, you know, after the hunt was over, we all went and did um, some sightseeing and we went and drove through some of the wildlife parks and we went and rode elephants and did all kinds of fun adventure trips, you know, all together too. So yeah, he had a great time too. <laughs> yeah, if you go all the way to Africa, you got to enjoy everything that it has to offer, right? I, I can't imagine. I would, I would go there if my wife wanted to and do whatever she wanted to do. But I'm like, if we were here and you didn't want to hunt, honey, I, I got to go after some big game if we were here. While, while, you're, <laughs> while you're there, you got to experience it all. That's right. <laughs> so when you were in Alaska and your dad, um, for people that don't know what a master guide is, can you explain, um, you can get your guide license. That takes a lot to get um, in Alaska, but it takes a whole lot more dedication in order to get that master guide certification. And then... Yeah. Yeah. So it's a higher level of certification and a master guide can have guides and assistant guides um, work under him. And, um, you know, he... He has an area um, that he's, you know, leasing from the state that's specifically, you know, his his area to hunt. And so, um, for example, my dad had um, a lodge out on the Alaska Peninsula, um, which is way out there, if people don't know. But um, and so that you can only access, you know, out there by uh, bush plane. And so he had, um, honestly, I don't even know how many. I think I want to say twelve guides and then a, a group of assistant guides that worked under him that would take the clients out into the field. And my dad was really coordinating um, all of that, um, the hunters and, you know, running, he was flying his bush plane, you know, in and out of, of various camps, taking hunters in and out to the different guides and running the guides out, running food, food out, you know, running the, the whole, you know, operation overall. Um, all the logistics yeah, and administrative right. stuff that people don't realize goes in exactly, to, to one of yeah. those types of hunts. You'll have to forgive. I, I hear that my voice is getting a little raspy. So, um, like I said, I'm uh, going through a period right now where um, my vocal cords are um, part, get, getting attacked by the disease <laughs> to, to kind of put it in an easy to understand way. And um, sometimes my voice gets really raspy like this. So you'll just have to forgive. I, I call it my Stevie next voice, but it, it'll probably get more and more raspy as we go on. <laughs> it, it sounds, it sounds fine. I don't think anyone's going to have any problem understanding what you're saying. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> what, did your dad fly like the super cubs or like the beaver planes or what did he fly? He did. Yeah. Um, he, he had, he has flown beavers and otters, but they're really big, bulky mm-hmm. um, planes. For him, he he did not like them at all. He liked the smaller planes that you can get in and out of um, hard to get to areas. So he did have um, he did fly Super Cubs, and he also had a 185. You know, when he needed to haul more um, gear or passengers and stuff. Um, but you know, with that Super Cub, he was just such an amazing 
pilot. He could just land it, you know, anywhere and he could take off in high winds. I mean, we just have some incredible, you know, videos of places that he landed or, or took off. Um, he even, you know, sometimes when they were doing search and rescue um, things and they couldn't get in to to help people, um, he would occasionally get called for that. So I remember um, one time when I was young that um, some kayakers got trapped on a river and they needed someone to land on a sandbar. And when I say river, I'm talking enormously wide. Right. Um, like the Yukon or something. To- yeah, they needed someone to land on a sandbar in the middle of this river in a very short distance and then be able to take off again um, to save, to rescue them. And um, and he did that. So, you know, um, just as a volunteer, but um, he just really was such an amazing um, pilot. Wow. Those Super Cub pilots are something else. I mean, I don't know all the training that they go into in order to do that. Having flown on one a couple times on an Alaska hunt, it's a newfound respect for those guys, the, what the conditions that they fly through. And I know they don't make them anymore. So you got to salvage parts off of them and be delicate when you're getting in. Uh, but the, the places that they are able to go, especially on those Tundra tires and put you in some of the remote areas for, for different hunts on all different species across that giant state is, uh, it's awe inspiring and a lot of respect for them. I've never been on a float plane, but, those super cubs are something else flying yeah, on the North perfect. slope was, uh, was different. You know, you don't, you don't see that, that type of, uh, terrain anywhere down here in Arizona, much less in the lower 48 and those guys yeah. being able to take off in such short runways and land in such short, uh, like you said, like your dad landing on a sun on a sandbar for search and rescue is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It really, it really was amazing. Do you have some stories on hunting all over Arizona, or uh, excuse me, Alaska? I know you've gotten some bears up there. Um, did you hunt blacktail or mountain goats ever? I did not hunt either of those. My husband has um, gotten a mountain goat with his uh, bow in the Valdez area, but I never did either of those hunts. Blacktail would be kind of Kodiak, Raspberry Island area, which is um, quite a long ways from Anchorage and. Um, I just, I never got down, um, in that, in that area. Mainly, um, I would just do moose and black bear. And I did, um, I did take a brown bear with my bow too. Wow. That's, that's freaky. Do you want to tell about that story? Man, oh man. (laughs) Um, so that was, um, quite a few years ago. That was, I want to say that was 2014 and, um, and it was a, it ended up being a Pope and Young brown bear. And I, I, I had never, I, this had never, I had never thought about this, but later I found out from them that I was only the sixth woman ever on record to take a brown bear with a bow. Wow. Which <laughs> it, it hadn't even occurred to me, um, you know, that that was a thing. <laughs> but that was kind of a neat thing to find out afterwards. That's so. awesome. Incredible. Incredible. Walk us through that hunt because everybody um, that's in the hunt, you know, that loves hunting knows how big black bears can get we got some really big ones here southeast alaska has some really big ones as well um i don't think i've ever seen or mike i don't know if you have seen any of like the giant 500 pounders but we've harvested the 250 to 350 range for for sows and boars and a 300 pound bear is huge a grizzly's twice that size and a brown bear's 
twice a grizzly size. So going, <laughs> going after a brown bear, um, you know, coastal brown bear that are just enormous land predators that are only rivaled by a polar bear and even some of the brown bears um, are bigger. It's just crazy to, to, to get in within bow range of that, that awe-inspiring of, a, of an animal. Tell us about that hunt. It's definitely a little nerve-wracking. So, yeah, the, the black bears in Alaska definitely are, they, they're not, they're just, and at least where I've hunted in Alaska, uh, I've taken several black bears there, um, are not as big as the, as the black bears in, like, Pennsylvania, where my husband's from. But, um, but certainly, yeah, getting around a, um, a brown bear was exciting. So um, I, was, I was hunting. I was actually black bear hunting, um, but I was in a pre- what they call a predator control area. Um, what that means is that the um, moose population in that area was being devastated by the bears. And so um, they were allowing bears to be taken out of that area. Um, and it was, a, I'm, obviously, I'm a resident there. So I was able to just buy a um, brown bear tag to take with me. And I really, I honestly never thought I was going to see a brown bear on the hunt. I was black bear hunting. Um, but I just took it, you know, just as a just-in-case kind of thing. And so um, we were, we had set up um, black bear bait. And, um, our, we had tree stands set up that were, um, we were like, I don't know, like maybe 14 feet up or something uh, in the tree. And, um, we had, um, black bears, you know, coming in on them. And then, um, you know, one night I'm sitting out there and uh, this is going to sound weird, but in, you know, in Alaska, you can hunt like all night long in the summer because it's light all night. So I was sitting in the stand and it was like 1130, I think around at night. And, but it's still, you know, sunny out because it's in June or May. I can't remember if it's May or June, but, um, <clears throat> but um, the um, brown bear came in and um, came into the bait. And so, you know, that was a shocker at first because I, you know, we're like, I don't know, um, like 16 yards from the bait, you know, and then up in the tree. So you're not very far away from it. So you're not expecting, I just wasn't expecting that. But anyways, um, it it immediately saw that we were there immediately and started, um, they popped their jaws. So they, um, they snapped their teeth, you know, and it's this real, in the woods, it's really loud, pop, 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 when their teeth are smacking together. So they do that. And then, um, and then it was taking birch trees, which are fairly narrow, and it would it gra- was grabbing them and like slapping them back and forth. So they were waving. I mean, it looked like a gorilla was out there waving. Wow. You know, the tree was slapping back and forth and back mm. and forth. And then it would it, they make like this <laughs> like a huffing sound. And they take both paws together and pounds the ground really hard, like jumps and pounds, jumps and pounds. So I was doing that. So I'm like, <laughs> my buddy was with me, my friend of mine. So your blood um, pressure was really low and your heart rate was really yeah. low. I'm like, yeah, I'm like freaked out. And I said, you know, can it get up here? And he's like, oh, hell yeah, I can get up here. <laughs> like, oh. it, can, it could come up here, no problem. Like, just, you know, and I said, well, it knows we're here. And he said, yeah, and he, he said, it's saying, you know, this is its area and it wants us to leave. It was very intimidating. And um, he said, it's trying to intimidate you. And I said, well, it's working. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I feel intimidated. <laughs> so, you know, it's circling around and 
Um, and, um, he, he said, you know, you have a tag, do you want to shoot it? And I was, I was nervous. I was, I had the shakes and, and it was scary. And I, I kind of went back and forth. And before I, you know, I thought my fear was I'm going to shoot it and I'm, I'm not going to make a good shot and it's going to be wounded. And then my friend is going to have to go into the woods after a brown bear that I've wounded. And it scared me. You know, I, I have heard too many stories from my father of clients wounding brown bears and then having to go into the woods after bears and people being charged. I have a friend that got mauled by a bear. So, you know, I have a healthy respect for them from the way I grew up and I was nervous and um, I didn't shoot and it, and by then it had left. And so I thought about it all that night, you know, we talked about it a lot. We went back to camp and this, where we were in camp, we were way out. You're, it's flight, you know, bush flying only. You're not in, there's no cell phone service out there and you're, you're not near any rooms or anything. Right. And, um, only somebody loaned me their fat phone and I actually <laughs> called my husband who was running the archery store and kind of told him what happened. And he, you know, he's like, well, if it comes back, I think you should, you know, you should take a shot. And so I kind of thought about it a little bit and, and lo and behold, about three or four days later, I thought again, and it came back in and did, I mean, straight up did the exact same thing. But now I was more prepared. I was ready. It was doing its intimidation stuff. It was knocking trees around. It was huffing. It was pounding the ground. It was popping its jaws. And I just was really, really calm, really calm and just waited for the perfect angle and drew and shot. And when I shot it, it jumped up in the air like a bucking bronco. It literally like jumped up like with a in like a U, like it, it, it was crazy. All and four like paws off the ground? Correct, yeah. Wow. Jumped and roared. It roared just, like it just felt like it shook the forest. I mean, wow. the, the roar was unreal. So loud when the arrow hit it. And the arrow actually went all the way through. And it ran 20 yards and piled up. And then it started like, like doing these really big sighs. And I'm shaking and I grab another arrow and load it. And my friend said, what are you doing? And I said, it's super pissed and I'm getting ready <laughs> because I thought it was like, you know, going to come after us or something because I just assumed in my mind that I had wounded. It. Right. And he said, no, no, he like grabbed my hand and said, no, listen. And then I realized that. <laughs> and then, and then I heard the final, like, <sighs> And then there was nothing. And he said, it's over. It's over. That's it. I just, I couldn't wrap my mind around. I, you know, I kind of does enough to know, you know, one arrow could take something down, but I just didn't think one arrow would take down a brown bear. And, um, and then that was it. It was over. And I really didn't realize, I think fully what I had done until we got down and we walked up to it and, and I'm approaching it. And then I started just shaking all over, like, cause then you see the size of it and you're like, Oh my goodness! What did I just do? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe it. You know, and so I couldn't even. You know, he was going to take pictures, and I would grab the both ears on the head and try to pick it up for a picture, and I could not hold it up. And I'm, I'm just realizing like how heavy and big it is. And so, um, so that was really amazing. And honestly, the most amazing part of that whole experience was when I got back to Anchorage. And um, got to tell my parents about it. Now, my father had Alzheimer's at the time. And um, and that's what he passed from was Alzheimer's. And so he just was at a point in his, in his disease at that point where he just wasn't understanding a lot of stuff. And so 
my friend had actually videoed um, the hunt, the arrow hitting it, the roar, the whole thing. I mean, I had the whole thing. And so oh, um, man. I videoed it. We videoed it just for us, just for the, you know, the, for us to have. And so we put it on the TV and we set my dad up close to it and we turned it way, way up. So the roar would just shake the room. And he watched it and he watched it and I played it over and over like, multiple times and, and nothing. He just wasn't connecting. And, you know, finally I went and I stood next to the TV and I was like pointing at the TV and I was pointing at me and I'm saying, that's me, that's me, you know? And, um, he like turns and looks at me and he said, that's a big bear. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, he's connecting. Like he's getting this, you know? So then I'm almost in tears and I'm like showing my, like acting like I'm drawing a bow and I'm saying, that's me. You know, I took that bear. And then he says, well, I would take you hunting with me anytime. And my mom and I started bawling our eyes out. I was like, it connected. He got it. He knew what I had done. And it was just like this really beautiful kind of ending to the whole experience for me. Unbelievable. Wow. That is an incredible, incredible story. I got so many questions about that. Um, So... When you're sitting in that tree stand and you're seeing 300-pound black bears coming into the bait, and then you see that come in, what what's your first thoughts when you're like, okay, we could have color phase black bears that are cinnamon, but that clearly is not a black bear. What were your thoughts yeah, on that? You just, yeah, your heart. I mean, your heart just starts going fast, and you also think. Like, am I crazy? What am I doing? Like, <laughs> you kind of think that. Like, what am I doing out here? <laughs> Did you guys have a, a rifle or a backup, uh, a large caliber handgun? Yeah, yeah. He had a sidearm, and always, the, honestly, always when I bow hunt, I have a sidearm. Like, okay. even if I'm deer hunting here, I have a sidearm. Right. Um, so As do we. Just, yeah. It's so, smart. Yeah, it's did. smart practice. I mean, no one wants to carry a whole bunch of extra weight, but. You never know what could happen. Well, you know, what was uh, just kind of an interesting fact about that predator control area is um, in that particular season, um, uh, my friend that's a a guide in there said that um, there, he had been living out there for for several months in that area. And he said that he had counted 21 moose calves that had been born in that area that he was aware of. And um, he said by the end of that summer, all 21 moose calves had been killed oh, and he never, he never saw any of them. And so that's why they have those predator control areas like that, because it's just when there's so many bears like that, it's really just devastating the population. And then now um, in that same area, I've, I've heard that the moose are flourishing. So um, that, that is, you know, kind of that um, kind of reminds you why that conservation um, is important. Well, that's what so many people don't understand that are, um, whether it's ignorance or whether it's just uneducated or they, they just don't, you just don't know what you don't know that so many people, you know, we've had many discussions about it and anyone that's a hunter has had to defend themselves or their friends for the people that think that you're out there, um, just to kill that you're, you know, some sick individual that just wants to kill animals. And we've gone down that path numerous times on hunters and outdoorsmen are, the best conservationists are there people that abuse that obviously um there's you're never going to have um 100 percent of the people that are like-minded and that are have the same values and ethics but on a whole hunters are some of the best conservationists in the world and having that predator management just like here 
uh, with the Humane Society of the United States that's completely separate than the Humane Societies that you adopt your, your dogs and cats from, that national push of wanting to get rid of lions and lynx and bobcat hunting uh, in the lower 48 and bear too, they, they try to do that, is it's just nonsense and garbage and it's it's very frustrating. But if they had those statistics, if they could see that, um, if they appreciate you know, Alaskan moose as much as they appreciate the the predators, then they would know that, you know, we're the ultimate predator, but we're also in charge as stewards of the land and having dominion over those animals, that it's our job to to be able to allow all those species to thrive. So um without without getting down that path, but if we could No, you're no, you're right. And like one night um while we were out there, I we were sitting in camp, we were it's you know end of the night we're sitting around the campfire and um we heard a bear killing a moose calf and the moose calf was screaming and we were right out by the lake and it was on the other side of the lake and it was just it was dead silent out there and it was just echoing across the lake and it was the most horrifying i mean just a horrific sound listening to it there's nothing you could do to block it out and i just i thought at that time you know we have skipped people that are so against these kinds of predator control programs heard that maybe they would have a little bit better understanding about, you know, about it. But they, they, sometimes I think they, you know, they think of a bear and they think it's some cuddly little creature that you want to give a hug to. <laughs> right. Yeah. Try going and giving a hug to a, to a coastal brown bear and see what happens. <laughs> right. the, the same thing, like, you know, they don't understand the the power, the ferocity and the the respect that those big predators deserve you can have a giant pack of wolves you know in yellowstone and they're detrimental to to animals and they are just as important in that in that uh overall health of of the herds and they have every right to be here god created all those animals for a reason but it on on a different topic it just the respect that they even have of a pack of 15 um, that you see videos or if you've witnessed, if you've been to Yellowstone or any of those places and one grizzly defending a kill against a, a big pack. And, you know, I've never seen a pack, no matter what size ever come out on top. I can't say they'd never come out on top. They've stolen or they've stolen, uh, you know, the kill or they've been able to run off the bear, but you never see them killing a bear. You know what I mean? Where, right. And in Alaska, everybody has a healthy respect for moose, especially mama moose does not mess around when there's calves and they, they can kill sled dogs. They can kill people. They, you know, they charge all the time. And even that, that big of an animal that's that protective of its young can't do anything. As you guys heard from across the, from across the, the other side of the lake or the other side of uh, the river, um, that calf being killed and, you know, the cow moose can't do anything about it just because of how the sheer size of a brown bear. Yeah. Um, so what was your bow set up for that? What- oh yeah. So, um, so I was, um, only shooting up. I'm pretty small. Um, I'm only five foot three. Um, I was only shooting about 55 pounds. Um, I, um, Obviously, it was close. You know, it was about a 16-yard shot. It did. It was a full pass through. I was shooting um, an Easton Axis arrow. Love and, it. It's my um, arrow. 
That's my arrow. I love it. <laughs> it's a great arrow. <laughs> and um, I was shooting an Exodus uh, broadhead, which are made by QAD, Quality Archery Designs, which is my absolute very, very favorite um, broadhead. Um, and um, I've actually taken 26 big game animals with, with an Exodus QAD broadhead. It's my very favorite. Impressive. But um, the, the um, arrow went, I did a quartering away shot. So it was a double lung shot and it, so it went through and it actually came out by the, at the front shoulder and it actually um, broke the shoulder bone and the blade was still intact on that broadhead, you know, came right through at, at that, you know, um, I'd, I'd say lighter poundage, you know, 55 pounds is most men are pulling 60 to 70 pounds, but I just can't, I can't pull that much. I'm pretty small. Um, but I'm also very, I'm a super conservative bow hunter. Like if I, like I said, I didn't shoot that first night because I just wasn't feeling the confidence on it. And I do that. I, I pass probably on more shots than I take because I, I really have to have just the right angle, be close enough where I feel like it's a, a truly ethical shot and where I'm going to get a clean you know, pass through. Um, here, um, do I, I haven't gotten a mule deer here since we moved here. I've had many, many um, opportunities. We're doing all spot and stock where I have stocked in close enough um, which is hard uh, on Arizona Very country ground to stop and close enough. And for me, with my lighter poundage, and um, I have a short draw. You know, I'm I'm I've only got a 25 inch draw, so I just don't have the same kind of power that say my husband does. Um, I want to be you know about 40 yards from a from a deer, and I've gotten even 40 yards from a from several nice mule deer, and have even come to full draw several times, and have not shot because the angle wasn't right or um, you know, it, maybe I only had a neck shot or maybe I only had, I could only see the back end or maybe it just wasn't turned the right way. And I'm just, I'm overly conservative because I just don't ever want to shoot something and not recover it. I'm just very conscious of that all the time. And so, um, so that with that brown bear, I just, you know, I really got the, the perfect angle. I just really, um, felt confident, you know, when I, when I shot and it, and it went, you know, passed right through. So. It's fantastic. Just seeing all the, I can only imagine seeing those trees move on the initial, the initial portion of him walking up. What you imagine a gorilla would do with a tree. That's how I, that's the best way I can describe it. Like just taking them like they're nothing and just swinging them around. I mean, it's just very, it really was very intimidating. And, and that huffing noise is, and they, when they pound the ground with their front two paws, when they huff like that, and it's, boom, 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 and they're hoof, 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 and they're doing it, and they're telling you, I know you're there, this is my spot, and you need to leave. I mean, it, it is very intimidating because it's so different than, you know, if you're deer hunting, the, the deer take off or, or whatever, but, right. you know, they, these guys are standing their ground. <laughs> yeah, nothing is above the food chain uh, up there other than them, uh, other than a yeah. bigger boar. Was it a sow or was it a boar? Yeah, it was a sow. Yep. Wow. Did they yeah. think that it had been guilt or it had been responsible for a lot of the moose cats or, or what's the brown bear population where you that were? I have, that I have no idea. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure there, there were so many bears up there, honestly, like in that area, just it, even black bears. I mean, we saw so many black bears and, and everyone in camp. Um, there was two other ladies that I had um, brought on that trip. They were both first time hunters. And, um, and both of them got black bears as well. 
That's a uh, heck of a place to cut your teeth in the archery, honey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when before one lady, uh, Nancy, she's so sweet, and it was you know their very first hunt, and um, and the black bear climbed up the tree to the you know in the up to the bottom of the tree stand, and he was reaching around the foot platform, you know, and like and her guide's got you know a gun pointed straight down at him, but Ugh. you know she's just. She's just freaking out. She's never been hunting before here. This thing climbs up the tree at her bless her heart. But she still ended up getting one. <laughs> was that was that particular bear trying to attack or was it just from curiosity? No, just curious. Yeah, just curious what she, what they were and just, you know, eventually it climbed back down. But but I mean she had quite a story to tell. <laughs> Do you have any idea what your sow ended up weighing? Or what it scored? I don't yeah. I I think that's a lower forty eight thing. Um because I know, like, like um, my husband Dave and like people from Pennsylvania always talk about the weight of bears, but I, we never, we never really talk about the weight of bears like people do in the lower forty-eight. I have no idea what it weighed. Partly because where you have to go in order to hunt them in Alaska, it's not like you're bringing all this gear. You can't drive there and and have a hoist to right. to lift it up. <laughs> I can only imagine I mean, yeah, if it's a know. sow and you're having that hard of a time lifting the the head up. With, yeah, we had to. We had to have. Um, more people come out and help us. And then we, you know, we, we had to um, drag, even after we had cleaned it, we had to drag it over to the um, boat and then load it in the boat and then run it back up, you know, and the lake's huge, the lake is huge and there's all these fingers and stuff. I mean, we were, we were still even a long ways out from camp and then camp is a long ways out from, (laughs) from anywhere else. You you came in by Bush Point. So. How far from Anchorage Without giving that location, if you don't want to give it away, how far from Anchorage oh, are you? Yeah, um, yeah, we were, I'd say it's about a 30-minute flight in a bush plane, roughly. Everything there requires that because there's only a few highways that connect. And um, Yeah, yeah. so it wasn't, you know, super far out. Like, you know, my dad's lodge is hours, you know, you'd get in a bush plane, it'd be hours and hours and hours to fly out. <laughs> yeah, we weren't super far from Anchorage, but clearly not. Um, not anywhere close to any roads or anything. And like I said, there was no cell service, um, you know, in that area either, which there, there's a lot of areas where you hunt, but you don't have any cell service. Most people have a fat phone. Right. Um, oh. Like moose hunting and stuff. Um, a lot of times you don't have a, um, you know, cell service in the area. I took a small moose with my bow or a small bull moose um, with my bow up there um, in an area. And I had, and that was a tag, the only tag that I had drawn and um, and it was actually an area that we could hike into, which is unusual. Most, you know, normally when you go for a moose hunt, you're running in in a boat, going in a bush plane. You know, it's, it's a, a longer event. You can't just go in for the day. Right. So different than down here where we hunt in Arizona. It's like day and night. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, so different. I, it's been a whole learning curve down here for me. Like, number one, I'm not into the snakes at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, that's not fun for me at all. So that's weird, you know, hiking around where there's snakes and stuff that freaks me out. But um, just just hunting here is just it's completely different. I mean, being able to go out for the day is cool. It's just it's just something that we didn't don't normally you know get to do. And and just you know the crunchy ground and the the different cover and um, you know we're doing everything spot and stop here and um, just hunting in the, in really different weather. I mean, just everything about it has been really a learning curve. 
having all of January and uh, a lot of December to go after javelina and, and mule deer with a bow is pretty nice. Yeah, I I haven't been very lucky yet to draw uh, javelina tags. I've just only gotten um, one of those, but um, but um, deer for sure. This year was unfortunate because all the areas up here were closed, you know, yep. for deer hunting. Um, and so I didn't get to, to hunt as much. I didn't get to hunt in December at all, but, um, so that was a bummer, but, yep. um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, Mike is diehard archery. I, I like rifle. I, I like archery. I love rifle and he's always trying to convince me to be full-time bow and I'm trying to convince him to be full-time rifle but we have a healthy, healthy respect for both. And it allows you to hunt a lot more throughout the year by being able to take up both those different, uh, aspects. Um, I'm interested in, I'm interested in rifle hunting. So this is kind of a weird thing about me. That's unusual. I think is, um, I didn't start off rifle hunting and move to bow. I started off bow hunting. So I've always been a bow hunter. So, um, I have only taken one animal in my whole life with a rifle, which was a sheep. And, um, beyond that, I, um, I haven't rifle hunted at all. I've just always bow hunted. So, um, I am interested in, in getting into rifle hunting. I think that would be super fun. I just, um, last, uh, well, actually it's right when the pandemic started. So I guess it was 2020. Um, I got an opportunity to go on this, um, do this, um, like TV show and it was, um, called queen of the mile. And we, they, I didn't really know exactly what I had signed up for, but they, they took us out um, to Max Ordnance Training um, Center in California. And they it was all women, and we none of us knew anything about guns. And they put us through a hardcore crash sniper course on precision shooting, long-range precision shooting. And, um, and we had to do all these crazy challenges and stuff and then um, shoot, you know, a thousand, thirteen hundred yards, et cetera, and then shoot a mile at the end for the wow. end of the competition. Huh. Um, it was um, it was really fun and interesting and and way outside my wheelhouse. Like I am uncomfortable around guns. I'm nothing. Like um, I, it was really um, it was quite the challenge for me. But um, but it was really interesting, and it got me interested in in using a rifle and, and hunting, whether that be just maybe you know hunting coyotes, which I've never done, or or something like that. But um, but I think it would be really fun. Absolutely. What uh, what rifles were you guys shooting, if you remember? Yeah, they were. Um, again, I'm pretty uneducated about uh, guns, but um, they were they were six five Creedmoors, but they had yeah. they, they came out of the <laughs> they came out of the Remington. Um, custom shop so they were completely jazzed up it was like an eight thousand dollar gun when it when it when everything was said and done i mean everything on it was completely tricked out and made specifically for this competition and for shooting a mile and it was really it wasn't geared towards hunting it was the the whole thing was set up for you know competition precision shooting and and like sniper shooting but um you know um, I was the only person that was there that was a hunter or interested in hunting. Um, but, um, but a lot of them were just into, you know, more competition shooting type, um, ideas and stuff. But, but I, it, it made me interested in like, you know, uh, using that skill set for coyote hunting and stuff. I think it'd be really fun. It is. Um, definitely. I mean, the coyotes, 
we always you always see them obviously if you're you're hunting any other game here in arizona there is a healthy healthy population and that's a part of the conservation too they deplete our antelope fawns at a high rate um, i know some of our friends at phoenix barmet callers have uh, instructed on our predator, predator seminars in the past that as long as a baby fawn antelope survives the first two weeks to a month they're fast enough and they have their legs underneath them that they can outrun a coyote and you know they have a really low scent to them as a part of their adaptation in order to survive after they're being born but so many of them get killed on top of any number of things um, whether it be drought or food and all the other predators and all the other things that they have to face in their young life but i know the the coyotes really really put a damper on them and with expanded coyote hunting and predator management here uh i know they i don't know all the rules regarding the nighttime but they know they have opened that up within the last couple of years to allow some nighttime hunts um well past dark that are they have specific guidelines to them i know arizona still doesn't allow thermal optics or uh night vision if i'm not mistaken Someone else, I'm sure, can can uh, write in or or let us know. I know they don't allow thermals. They may allow they may allow night vision or supplemental use of like the green and the red, uh, op or not optics, but the lights, and uh, allow that just because there is there's no shortage of coyotes here, and it, no matter what game species we're going after, you always see them, and it just depends on how bad you wanna you wanna take one versus ruin you know whatever big game you're 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 originally targeting sometimes our deer and javelina hunts turn into coyote hunts when you see one so it's yeah, yeah i would i would encourage you to 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 take that up it it just it's so much more fun being able to it's a, just a, another aspect if uh i guess i'm loss of words but shooting at long range on steel or uh for target like what you were doing obviously prepares you for long range hunting. And a lot of people think that if you can shoot steel at a thousand yards, you're going to be able to take an animal at a thousand yards. It's completely different. And you got to look at the, the, the ballistics and the velocity and, and the energy that that bullet is downrange, whether it can take that animal, just like you got to have the right, you know, distance with your, with your arrow or with your bow set up and make sure that it's an ethical shot just because the gun can hit, a target that far doesn't mean that it's going to ethically take that animal that far. Um, yeah. But at the same time you get better and, and you are able to, to practice and practice and it's just fun. Northern Arizona and all of Arizona, there's so much public land that allows you to go out there and practice that discipline. Um, did you, did you buy that rifle or did they provide it for the show? No, they provided it for the show. Okay. Was, you know, it was interesting to me because I was, um, there were a few ladies that had um, gun experience, and, and one lady was in the, the military as well, so she had a decent amount of, of gun experience. I was myself and one other um, lady were definitely the the least experienced, but I was really surprised how much I could translate my background in bow hunting over to guns. You know, um, it you know. Like, for example, you know, a really slow squeeze on your trigger on your release and not, you know, not yanking the trigger and breathing through the shot and, and all, you know, all kinds of things that um, were, were really helpful um, to me that I kind of translated over 
on to long range shooting. So it was kind of it was it was a neat experience to kind of go through that being a being a newbie and you know then had to do all these challenges and you know I I hit um, a pie plate at 1300 yards wow. and and mm. won that challenge and I thought I I just I was shocked I was like shocked because I. I came there thinking, you know, I know nothing about it. I hit anything and, and it, I picked it up really quickly. It was really cool. It's awesome. I do know that being a bow hunter makes makes me a much better rifle hunter. It's just a, it's a different mindset. And I think it's, cause we're used to getting close and playing the wind and all the other characteristics that go to being a bow hunter to where the, the rifle hunting, it's not easy per se, but it, it's a whole different element. But I think it just, you, you take all those skills and, for me, I seem to find game a lot faster than I would if I was just a rifle hunter based on my oh, archery yeah. skills that I set up. So, Yeah. <laughs> what uh, what rifle are you looking into if you if you get into that? Are you looking for the, the popular 6.5 Creedmoor or are you looking for a, a bigger caliber that is more apt to taking elk and, and different species across Arizona? So we have some um, rifles. My husband has rifle hunted before, you know, um, and I just have never been interested. I'm like, no, I'm a bow hunter. I'm not interested. So, so, and, um, and we have, um, some rifles that were my father's that were left to me, um, that I've just kept, you know, nostalgically. And so, um, so, uh, so I'll, I'll use one of those. I'm sure and that that'll kind of make me feel connected with him. I, you know, I have one of his old recurves that he used to hunt with. And actually I was supposed to be because I, I recurve and longbow shoot too, and um, mainly just for, you know, small game and birds and things like that. But um, I was that, that black bear hunt that I had planned for um, Canada with that group of ladies, I was going to use my father's recurve um, to, to do that hunt. And um, so um, I don't know, using, you know, one of his weapons kind of makes you feel connected. Absolutely. My first game, uh, a little spike coos deer, the very first, animal that I ever took was with my dad's hand-me-down uh, 30-06 that, that he had bought back brand new during Vietnam, and he gave oh, that to me. Awesome. So it was kind of cool and nostalgic, and uh, I, I, I would encourage you definitely. I mean, there's different things that they could, they could do to make it even more accurate. Um, I mean, the technology and bullets and rifles has grown huge, just like all the different te- technology with uh, the cams and uh, the lightness or how heavy a bow is and the stabilizers and all the good stuff that comes with that. So, but there's nothing like, you know, a good old 30 out six that some people frown upon that they're all about the new latest and greatest cartridge, but that's killed many, a many a deer across, across the country for, for years yeah. and years <laughs> and years. Um, do you have any other parting words? Um, how can people reach out to you and find out about, your company and uh, maybe read some of the articles that you've written in the past. Yeah. Um, so I've written for a bunch of different magazines, but, but mainly Pope and Young for Pope and Young. I've been their um, woman's writer for about seven years. So um, I write there, it's called the adventurous bow woman. Um, so if, if people are Pope and Young members, you can log onto the website and you can go back through any uh, magazine on there and, and read any articles that I have in there. Um, and then, um, my, you know, I'm on social media, Facebook and, um, Instagram, I use Instagram more. Um, and so my personal, um, page is R B G R R R L. Um, 
So that used to stand for Rock Charlotte Bow Hunting Girl, but girl like a growl. So R-B-G-R-R-L is my Instagram for myself. And then my business is Rock Charlotte Outdoors. So all one word um, for the business page. And then on Facebook, just Rock Charlotte Outdoors. Um, and um, yeah, and if people are interested in watching that long range um, TV series, I have it on YouTube now. And awesome. It's kind of fun. And you might learn uh, if people like precision shooting, you know, you might learn from it and see a bunch of newbies learn really quickly in a crash course in three days how to shoot. Um, it's called Queen of the Mile. And um, the producer for that show, his name is Sean Otley, and he actually is from Phoenix. So, um, you know, the locally produced um, show. And um, so that's on YouTube. And there's like 10 episodes there. So That's awesome. Um, Did you guys, yeah. um, I know we're backtracking, but on with me shooting long range, there are a lot of people don't even realize the importance of having a bubble level so that you have that anti-cant for the long range, uh, three or 400 yards with a rifle. If you have it zeroed at one or 200, you know, it's not that big of a deviation if you have it tilted a little bit. You were saying that yeah. it was an easy transition going from yeah. a bow so over to a rifle. That. And obviously yeah. so you got to have that bubble on the, that on the show. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I said that. I actually said that on the show. So the challenges were challenging. Like they they really threw us in the stuff really quickly for being a bunch of newbies. And, and uh, I believe it was our very first challenge. They had us laying on the side of a really steep hill. So I'm laying down on, you know, at an angle and you're shooting a mover. So, you know, this target is moving back and forth and you're laying on an angle and you think, I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, I just learned how to shoot this rifle yesterday, you know? And, um, but it was helpful. My bow hunting background was helpful because I, there was a bubble on there and I thought, well, I'm just going to go with the things that I know, you know, slow, steady, squeeze, breathing, and I'm going to um, watch this bubble and make sure it's leveled out. And, you know, and then with a moving target, you know, kind of watching for when it, you know, it kind of hits the end and pauses and starts to come back and kind of pacing that out and stuff. So the bow hunting was helpful for me for those things. Awesome. Any parting words or anything you'd like to share with us that I, uh, Mike or I have failed to ask? <laughs> well, I just, I appreciate you guys, um, you know, inviting me to, to chat on the show. And, um, I, I think you have a great, um, organization there and I'm always referring people to you. Um, I literally just this morning sent your, your turkey, uh, seminar to someone and, and suggested that they go. And, um, so I, I just appreciate what you're doing and, and I, you know, keep after it. We appreciate that. It's, it's a, it's a love and, um, uh... We work hard on it. We all have our normal day jobs, but it is a ministry. It is a fellowship, and we do love giving back. We have those free seminars. Um, like we said, it's beginning to March, and hopefully we'll we'll get this episode out soon because it is um, it is a really really good one. And I hope a lot of people hear hear from the heart of how much um, Johnny has given to the given back to to not only just women, but everybody. And she, her story is an inspiration to us all. So we really appreciate that. Um, we love giving back. We have our seminars. We got the four throughout the year and we are working hard to get this year will be our, our first one ever. We haven't really released it or talked about it, but we are planning on it. Um, nothing set in stone, but in October, we will have our first ever deer seminar. And uh, we oh, hope... Everybody hopefully can make that. Um, we haven't finalized 
any of our guest speakers, but we're working hard to get some really, really good uh, big names in order to come out and speak on another free seminar. So anyone that hasn't attended them, um, if you're in Phoenix or you're in Arizona and are able to make it up, our seminars are always uh, scattered throughout the first few months of the year with uh, Havelina, Turkey, Predator, and Elk um, strategically placed every other month. And then uh, those are always on the third Tuesday of each month. A couple of them are at our new uh, our new church that we've partnered with, Oasis Community Church in Scottsdale, and our longstanding relationship with Cavalry Community Church off of uh, I-17 off the fr- frontage road in Phoenix. We have good relationships with both of those churches, and um, they've opened our open the they've had open arms for the well Cavalry has for the last quite a few years ever since CHA has been around. Um, previously DCA and Oasis, they have several hunters there that have opened their arms and the lead pastor there, Andy, has welcomed us for the last couple seminars. But if you're not in Phoenix, um, we've been streaming those on YouTube. Um, You can watch them either live or they're on there as a recorded episode. You can see some of our previous ones. We're going to have two new speakers at the Turkey Seminar it's going to be uh, Corky Richardson, which everybody in Arizona knows as a part-time guide in the past um, and a very, very successful hunter, <clears throat> along with his son, Russ. They have quite a few of the, the state records and in the our, our record book here, and they've been in, deeply involved in uh, CHA as well as giving back constantly. So we're looking forward to having both of them speak about uh, turkey hunting at the uh, the 2022 Turkey Seminar, and as everybody said, if if we uh, get this out quick enough, hopefully we, everybody will hear that we needed some of these future seminars. We'd like the Q&A. We want to have these roundtable discussions, and we have, you know, the presentations that people put on, and it's a PowerPoint, or you answer questions from the, the audience, but we really like having that engagement if people can't come, but they have questions. Um Granted, an eastern turkey has got a little bit char- different characteristics than our southern Arizona goulds or Amerium's up in northern Arizona. But if you have any questions that Corky and Russ can answer, uh, we'd love to have that. And if you have questions about anything or if you have a prayer request, we love sending that out. We love praying for anybody. And um, without further ado, Mikey, if you could close us out. All right. Uh, Lord God, we just... Uh... We are just so thankful, Lord, for for health, Lord, and for 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 living in the United States. That the blessing it is, Lord. And I think sometimes we take for granted that we can wake up and just not even think about what tomorrow is going to bring or or the struggles that it may bring. And Lord, I just uh, thank you, Lord, for the miracles that you're continually doing throughout all of our lives, Lord. And, and sometimes we we hear the word of these different things that gives us a, a timetable that we all know that we have a timetable, Lord. But sometimes when you're working given this timetable saying that you have this disease or cancer or one of these other conditions that it, it does a pair a paradigm shift in our thinking but ultimately lord we know that you're in complete control lord and only you know that timetable and i just thank you lord that that you bless us lord for your for your will lord and and heal our bodies and and give us that outward you know vision and, and perception lord that allows us to to live life to the full lord as, as you inspired us to be lord and i just ask that you would just uh, bless joni lord and her ministry her companies lord her family lord i, just, I bl- ask, ask you to bless her body lord and just let there be complete healing 
also, Lord, any followers, Lord, or CHA members, or even people that we run into, Lord, if I just ask that you would just bless them and all things that, that they need, Lord, and that they would cry out to you, Lord, and know that, that you are the number one healer and that you allow doctors to heal people um, for your glory. And we just give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.